Okay. So everyone saw something along the lines of four to eight, at least, if not 15, 16? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So our topic, healthy mishloach manot, sociology explains a halacha. And like I said, this was a shear that I gave in shorter form on Shabbos, and, um, and it's a fun topic. It involves, obviously, the halacha mishloach manot, and what I heard from you during the preparation is that some of you are actually familiar with some of the key sources in this conversation, and that will possibly smooth the way or possibly cause a lot of confusion. Um, but we begin with the first source, which was put out by Israel's Ministry of Health several years ago. Guidelines for Mishloach Manot. And just reading my English translation of it, you can see the original Hebrew as well. A custom of Purim is sending portions, each to his fellow. Mostly we give and receive deliveries of sweets, candies, and cakes, which during the prep time we all you know, made fun of, but that is what people do. Um, this time we suggest doing this a bit differently. In the spirit of the mitzvah, it is important to have at least two different kinds of food portions. We are not denying that you're supposed to be giving food. Let's you know, be clear on that, on that front. Um, so that's number one. Number two, um, in the spirit of the Mediterranean diet, it is advisable to have variety in the types of food and not only sweets and candies. One could abandon those altogether. Portions with high nutritional value without excessive sugar, fat, or salt. The point would be to send homemade portions from natural, unprocessed ingredients like whole grains, vegetables, fruits, and beans. <laughs> One need not focus exclusively on food. One could blend into the mishloch manot, an original component, a pot with seasonal flowers, a pot with herbs, attractive and edible. So... From the giggles and the not going to happens, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting the picture. And it leads me to the following question. I do not mean to make fun of healthy eating. I personally pursue healthy eating. I avoid sugar sometimes. But at the same time, realistically, there will be people who will receive your healthy mishloach manot and say, thank you, but no thank you. And not in so many words. They may give it to somebody else. Um, they, uh, but you know, try to give them you know a, a platter with bran and uh, and whole grain and you know barley or whatever it is, you know, and see where it goes. You did. Oh boy, a squirrel's mishloach manot. Excellent. So, um, so my question is, can you fulfill mishloach manot without candy if people turn it down? Yes, I was I was using candy as a uh, as a stand-in for the fun mishloach manot that people have. The um, so answering the question of mishloach manot when people turn it down requires a blend of halacha and sociology. And in order to approach this, I wanted to ask the following question: Dividing mitzvahs between ben adam lamakom and ben adam lachavero, right? There's a third category, ben adam laatzma, but we're going to pretend that doesn't exist because it doesn't for the purpose of our conversation. Ben Adam Lachavero, mitzvahs between one person and another. Ben Adam Lamako, mitzvahs between a human being and Hashem. So, technically, all mitzvahs are Ben Adam Lamako, between human being and Hashem. I give tzedakah, but Hashem told me to do so, so therefore, even tzedakah is Ben Adam Lamako. Let's put that on the side with the Ben Adam Laatzmo things. I have a mitzvah that is Ben Adam Lamako, I have mitzvah Ben Adam Lachavero. Which category applies to each mitzvah of Let's start with reading Megillah. 
Reading Megillah is Ben Adam Lamakom or Ben Adam Lachavero? Well, you don't have to. You can be Yotze without a minion. You can be Yotze, but it's preferable. Okay. What makes you say it's Ben Adam Lachavero? Um, being um, like person on Islam. Like, Why is that Ben Adam Lachavero? Um, so I would offer the following definition. It is Ben Adam, or categorization. It is Ben Adam Lamakom, between the human being and God. I'm publicizing Hashem's nace. It is performed with other people. It is a communal bein adam lamakom. Like minion. Yes. It's a mitzvah to Hashem that I do with other people. That's the way I would understand Megillah, and I think that's relatively non-controversial. Perm seuda, bein adam lamakom or bein adam lachavero? Well, not just because God told you to. What's the role of the Purim Seuda? What's the purpose? Celebration. To celebrate what? The miracle. Yeah. Same as for him to the other one. Yeah. It's been Adam Lamakom that you perform with other people. And you don't have to. You could eat your Purim Seuda yourself. It's, you know, not ideal. But it exists. You're Yotze. Yeah. So... Megillah and Seuda are ben Adam Lamakom, performed with other people. On the other hand, Matanos Le'evyonim, right? Giving to the needy. Ben Adam Lachavero. Yeah. It's Ben Adam We're helping others, helping others out. And that brings us to the problem one. Shalach Manos. Is Mishlach Manot ben Adam Lamakom or ben Adam Lachavero? Don't look at the further sources yet. We're not up to the further sources yet. <laughs> the goal of prep time is not for you to then move everything from later earlier. Oh, cool. Okay. I mean, it's to help the celebration. So you would think that it's... Well, it's to help the celebration, but to you're celebrating the miracle, so it could be the same as before. It's like, it's helping you. You Someone else is helping you do your mitzvah of Ben Adam Lamach. But Yishlerei, who is just so... Mm-hmm. You have to you have to do it with somebody else. You have to like give it to someone else, and they have to like. So take a look on the sheet. That look at the Torah's de- the Torah, the Megillah's description of the mitzvah. There are two psukim which detail this mitzvah. First one, I didn't bring the original Hebrew. You can look in a Tanakh for it. I just I like to avoid all Shemos problems. So when I bring psukim, I just bring the uh, the translation. Therefore, the Jews of open communities celebrate the 14th day of Adar with joy, feasting in Yom Tov, and sending portions each to the other. That is the first appearance. Second appearance, a few psukim later. Like the days when the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was reversed for them from sorrow to joy from mourning to Yom Tov to make them days of feasting and joy and sending portions each to the other and gifts to the needy. Clear difference between the first and the second. Matanos Levionim only shows up in the second one. But more to the point... In between the first and the second, you get Mordechai's command. So the Gemara in Megillah says that the first Pasuk is describing what they did spontaneously. When they were celebrating at first what had happened on Purim, they they did these things. The second Pasuk is describing what Mordechai told them to do. 
converting it into a mitzvah for the generations. This is how you celebrate Purim, which is why in source number three, the Gemara in Megillah says, Malacha lo kabilu alayu. This Gemara is part of a separate discussion. It said that the Jews never accepted upon themselves that they wouldn't perform malacha on Purim. You're allowed to do malacha on Purim. We never accepted a practice of not doing malacha. Dimei karaksiv, because in the first pasuk, it actually says yom tov. Right? No malacha. It says yom tov in both of them, in the English. So, no, because that's the month that was reversed from sorrow to joy, from mourning. You're right, I called it yom tov, and that causes confusion. But it's there it means just a festival. As opposed to the halachic terminology, so the um, in the beginning it says they made simcha mishtes joy and feasting and yom tov ulubesof. But in the end, with Mordechai's edict, it says to make them into days of feasting and joy. But it doesn't say yom tov. So the Gemara is saying that the first one is just what they did originally, and the second one is saying it's um, the you know, what Mordechai decreed. I want to come back to that point later on. It's going to matter for our purposes. But as of now, I could argue, like Orly said, one to another, it's been the point is for us to feel close to each other. And that's the logical read of sharing food. Right now, that would be my assumption. However, it's going to get more complicated. And this is where we get into the issue of um, rejected Shalach Manos. So we start here with the Trumas Hadeshen. Trumas Hadeshen was Rabbi Yisrael Isserlein. As you see on the sheet, he was active in 15th century Austria. He is one of the major early poskim in for Ashkenazi Jews. When you think of the major names of forming Ashkenazi Psach pre-Shulchan Aruch, so you think of the Maharil, and you think of the Mordechai, and you think of you know, certain names. Trumas Hadeshen is on that list. So Rabbi Yisrael Isserlein, author of the Trumas Hadeshen, has the following question. I should also note one other very interesting fact about the Trumas Hadeshen is that most of the questions in the Trumas Hadeshen were made up. It wasn't like people sent him letters saying, here's a question. He said, like, I would like to write about the following. So he said, here's a question, and here's my response. This is what you do when you're, you know... It's like thesis. There you go. Exactly, a thesis. So... He says the following: Bnei Adam hasholchim lachaverayim bepurim chalukim usdinim v'uchiagavna. He says people who send blankets, they send clothing to others, and uh, you know, for Purim, yotim idem shalach manos alav. Are they yotim shalach manos or not? Presumably, in Austria, he saw people doing this, and he wanted to address the question. So he said. You know, what's the deal? Are you Yotze? And Chuva, Yerod ain't Yotze in Bohen. He says, No, you're not Yotze. Denira Tam de Mishloch Manos, who Kadesh Yehela Cholachad, Devisafek Lekayim Hasuda Kadina. The point is that you'll have the means of having a Suda. You could try eating the blankets, it ain't going to work. The goal is to have a Suda. Well, if you tell me that the goal is to be able to provide the Suda, that makes it sound like the mitzvahs of Ben Adam Lamakam. Right? I am enabling others to have the suuda. It is also benam lachavera because I'm enabling the recipient yeah. to have a suuda. But the goal ultimately is for people to thank Hashem. In the same way that if I hand someone a sitter so they can say halal, not on Purim because we don't say halal on Purim, but if I hand somebody a sitter so they can say halal, it's benam lamakom. I enabled someone to say halal 
And yes, I helped somebody else in the in the process, but fundamentally it's been at Amalamakum. But you need another person. Yes. Like in order to give there needs to be somebody there to receive. Correct. It's a ben adam lamakom that is performed with the agency of some other participant. But the, the other pers- participant is mandatory, unlike the other ones where it's like ideal if you have other people. This right. one, you need another participant. Right. Is there any other ben adam lamakom that is communal? Yeah. Building the Beis HaMikdash. Right. Building the Beis HaMikdash is ben adam lamakom, but it's a mitzvah of the tzibur. It's a collective mitzvah. But if you gave someone else material to be able to build their part of Beit HaMikdash, which is that? There's some element of, you have done something that has been Amalchavero as part of this Ben Amalamakum. Correct. And that's what I see here. The, the core mitzvah has been Amalamakum. However, you can't get around the fact that since, unlike the case with the Beit HaMikdash, this must be done with you handing something to somebody else. In the case of the Beit HaMikdash, the community could all do it with each person bringing their own materials if they have them. So it's not quite uh, analogous. But the dominant theme to me is Ben Adam Lamakom. The, um, that's within the Trumas Hadashim. Then on the other hand, you have Rosh Shlomo Halevi al Kabetz. What is Rosh Shlomo Halevi al Kabetz most known for writing? Ooh, that's not good. <laughs> A gap in the Jewish day school system? No, it's because you guys don't use the Birnbaum Sidurim. The old Birnbaum sitter said it at the bottom of the page for Kabbalah Shabbos. My grandmother did not do that. L'chad <laughs> is written oh. by Rosh Shlomo Halevi Al-Kabetz. Oh, that, it's, it's his name on the... Oh, Rosh Shlomo, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Rosh Shlomo Halevi Al-Kabetz <laughs> wrote L'chad Dodi. Rosh Shlomo Halevi Al-Kabetz was a member of the Kabbalist circle in Sfat in the 16th uh, century. Okay. He was brother-in-law of Rav Moshe Cordovero. Um, he was a student of the Ari once the Ari showed up. And, um, and he also wrote this work, Manos Halevi, a commentary on Megillus Esther, which according to the dedication in the beginning of the book, you can find the book on HebrewBooks.org, um, according to the dedication, he wrote and sent it to his father-in-law as a gift for Purim. Presumably not counting as Shalach Manos, but nonetheless, it was a gift, a Purim gift that he sent his father-in-law. In this commentary on Megillus Esther, he says the following in source number five. He's commenting on chapter nine, where we get this mitzvah of Shalach Manos. He says, O sim yom yudalit simcha umishte v'yomtov umishlach manos ish l'reyehu. We make the 14th a day of joy and feasting and yomtov and sending these gifts. Kemoshaya in yanam, like it was for them. Ki ish echad lehikahel kol echadim chavero. For all of them to gather as one with each other. Hefech ish tsar oyev. The opposite of this foe and enemy who spoke terribly, saying, that we are one nation scattered, um, divided, and, uh, and so forth. So he makes it sound like the point of Shalach Manos is what? To be part, like to be part of the community, to bring it yeah, together. To be united. Decidedly, Ben Alma Chavero. Right? Building bonds between people, the um, that's the argument that that he seems to be to be making, and consistent really with the fact that we don't generally have, with most other mitzvos, an obligation of giving somebody else specifically the means to perform a mitzvah beinadam lamakom. Meaning, we do have a practice of maos chitin. 
right? We try to provide people with wheat so that they'll be able to make matzah for, for Pesach. But it's not like we have a mitzvah in the Torah, certainly, of give people the means of making matzah. We don't have a mitzvah of give people Hanukkah candles. You know, suddenly, out of nowhere, we have a mitzvah, give somebody else the means of having a Purim suda. So hang on to that thought. That's going to be very important. We're just not quite there yet. Sorry. No, you're fine. We're, we're just not there yet. You're ahead of me. So looking at these two arguments for why we do Shalach Manos, looking at the view that it's about making sure people will be able to thank Hashem versus building bonds, how do I deal with the case of the Shalach Manos that got rejected? Ouch. Which, which are you would say or not. If I say that it's been Adam Lamakom, I would well. You're making the argument that you tried, and I hear that. But I would argue you did not enhance the person's suda. You didn't provide them with something that they could use for the meal. They said no. Okay. Now you'll tell me, but people don't eat everything that they get given, right? I send somebody, and ten other people send somebody, and they sit down at their table, even if they use shalach manos. Like, how many shalach manos are they really going to raid in order to be able to have their perm suda? They um, nonetheless. The idea of having a table full of food like that is valuable. That's a suda. So therefore, the argument could be made that you didn't fulfill it if they didn't accept it. On the other hand, Benam Lachavero could well be satisfied. Because even though he didn't accept the food, he knows you tried. And that's enough to create a bond. He didn't like that food, fine. But he saw you invested in it, you tried. I have this really bad habit of giving the parts I don't like to my sister. Nobody else knows. Okay. Why is that a bad habit? Okay, it's a good habit. So like, anyway, yeah, it's just like, so I don't ever reject it because like, you know, I'm just going to give it to her after. If I don't there you go. Well, I mean, if you take a look on the sheet, the end of the sheet, I gave you a little table. We are in phase one of the table, the first column there. You see that? So if it's a social mitzvah, it's offering to share the food, and you say. But if it's about ideology, supplying a feast with which to thank Hashem, you did not succeed in, in providing it. And that is the argument of the Chasim Sofer. Because what happens is this. Ramosha Iserlis answers the question of the rejected Shalach Manos in source number six. He says, You send gifts of food to somebody and they don't want them. They say, forget it, you don't need to, it's fine. Yatza, he says, you are Yotze. Who does he seem to be following? Right, that's why you are Yotze. That's the argument of the Chasim Sofer. If you flip to source number seven, he says, in Manos Alevi, it says that you do Shalach Manos in order to increase peace and friendship. Opposite the gossip of this enemy who said that we were scattered and divided. He said that instead of being one nation, we are scattered. Therefore, we do Shalach Manos. So since he de- demonstrated that he loves the person, even though the other person said, that's all right, I don't need it, 
Nonetheless, your Yotze, we're following Rishlam Alevi al Kabetz. So conversely, would that mean that if you gave somebody a Mishra Khanat that they did not like or would not eat, they got upset at you? Yeah, then you're definitely not Yotze. You're not Yotze, but. <laughs> not according to anybody by, then. By the logic of, well, you've given them food that they could use for their sit layer, Suda, you would be Yotze. So if I totally view it based on the sender's point of view, like you were saying before, I'm going to come back to that. I'm not quite there yet. So you look at you thinking something. I'm always thinking something. So <laughs> okay. you can carry on. I have like three separate conversations going on at all times, so just carry on. Okay. <laughs> so there's a deep problem with the Chasim Sofer's explanation. I gave you a little bit of a bio on the Truma Sadeshim and a little bit of a bio on the Manos Halevi. Play the posig now. Someone comes to you for a psak on any issue under the sun, and you know that there is a view by the Truma Sadeshim respected posseg of Ashkenazi Jewry, or there's the other position which is taken by Kabbalist in Svat in the 16th century. You are an Ashkenazi posseg. Who are you going to follow? Kabbalist in Svat. Thanks a lot, yeah? <laughs> you would follow the Trumas Adeshen. Like, where... The, um... Who is going to pass... I mean, this is not meant to be disrespectful to Shlomo Alevi Alkabates or evidently to Orly. The, um... <laughs> But the Truma Sadeshen is a, is a serious posseg among the Rishonim of Ashkenaz. Rav Shlomo Alevi Akabetz is a Sephardi Achron who is best known for a mystical poem that we say Friday night. You know? I mean, like, why would you do that? And not only that, when you look at the wording that was in this piece in Manos Alevi in number, four, in number five, it's not like he was getting anything. He didn't make a halachic statement. He was just saying, yeah, they said we should bond and we should be one with everybody else, unlike what Haman said. Yeah, well, he's quoting him. <laughs> but it's just so difficult. Why in the world would you, would you think that the Ramah was following the Manos Alevi over the Truma Sadesh, and not to mention, but we will, Rav Asher Weiss points out, if you take a look at source number eight, the Rambam is squarely on the side of the Truma Sadashen. The Rambam is before the Truma Sadashen. But if you take a look at number eight, the Rambam gives you, in one halacha, the mitzvah of Seuda and the mitzvah of Shalach Manos. He says, What is the obligation for this meal of Purim? Sheyocha basar, to eat meat? No, you don't actually have to have meat. That is considered to be a great form of it, but somebody who hates meat, is afraid of meat, is repulsed by meat, does not need to eat meat. How does it say that? It just says, in the English it says, to eat meat is one of the obligations. Right, so, because that's the Rambam's wording, sheyocha basar. However, it's understood that that doesn't mean literally it has to be, you know, that you're not yotze without it. Yes. You should prepare a nice meal. As one can afford. And one must send two portions of meat or two kinds of cooked food or two kinds of food. It's all part of providing a seuda. It seems very clear that the Truma Sadashan's you know, sentiment is, is you know, halacha. So Rav Asher Weiss gives you an answer, which I'm going to go in a different direction, but I wanted to bring you as well. Rav Asher Weiss says, no. The mitzvah really is of providing a seuda, like the Truma Sadeshin, like the implication of the Rambam. That's really what it is. 
The Manos Halevi is not disagreeing with the Trumas Hadashen. He's just providing added explanation. This goes back to what you said before. It's both. You don't have to choose one or the other. The Ramah is not paskening like the Trumas Hadashen. The Ramah is saying the Halacha doesn't require you to do more than give. You can't be responsible for somebody rejecting your gift. You gave, and that was that. So that's the way that he explains what the Ramah is doing. The Ramah is not choosing the Manos Halevi over the Trumas Hadashen. He is saying both are valid. Clear? So I think that's a fine answer, and that usually is where people stop the shear. Like, that's usually sort of, okay, we've now looked at these main sources, and we've come up with our answer, and we know what to do, and therefore they reject the child Manos Yotze with as well. But I wanted to go a little further with this, because a little bit of sociology shows that food sharing can actually be a Ben Adam Lamakom act. And it's not about the actual joint eating, but it's about the gesture of offering somebody else food. And you'll see what I mean. There are lots of reasons why people share food. Some reasons why people share food are actually selfish. I gave you links in source number 10 to three articles. I didn't want the source sheet to become too long. It's already too long. The, um, but you can find all of these articles online. The first article is on a practice called costly signaling. Costly signaling is a broad phenomenon. Um, in costly signaling, the, he wants to share food. The, um, in costly signaling, what you do is you perform an action which shows a high degree of investment, perhaps a high degree of skill, in order to impress others. You give food to impress other people? Yes. What's the like, um, I think I'm more likely to give somebody else food so that's all no, I need. Yeah, compassion. Okay. So, well, I'll give you an example that's not food-oriented, but it comes up in sociology. Um, People who will wear a certain uniform, identifying them as part of a particular group, where the uniform is either expensive or uncomfortable, are demonstrating that they're trustworthy to the other members of the group, because look how far they're willing to go. Like, if you were, I'm just inventing this, imagine that you had um, a particular religious sect whose um, practice was to wear heavy black clothing um, in the middle of the summer. The, um, so, and, you, and you went around wearing that. So you demonstrate to other members of the group that you are trustworthy because you are going to these lengths in order to fulfill the mandate that the sect follows. You see what I'm saying? But is that really wrong? Who says it's wrong at all? I, mean, I didn't say anything was wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm just saying that it is a practice. Oh, you mean because I called this overall selfish? No, what I'm saying yeah. is, in terms of that, so there's a group in the, in the Merriam tribe in Australia, um, they hunt turtles. And it's apparently, don't, don't get angry at me, they hunt turtles. I didn't, I'm not a turtle hunter. No, because I just like people look up, like hunting turtles. That's terrible. Um, so, um, yeah. so, the, apparently this practice of hunting the turtles is a very difficult thing to do and even a dangerous thing to do. And then they, when, they've, when they've caught it and they've you know, processed it for whatever meat they're getting out of it, they, they then share it. And it's taken as an act of enhancing their reputation, look what I did type of a thing, um, to impress others and gain standing. So that's one type of food sharing. It's to gain standing by what you're doing. Another 
is forestalling harassment from those who are going to be asking you for food. So what you say is, I don't want people coming to my door. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to distribute resources, and that way I can save myself from having people come to my door and, uh, and ask me. Something's really funny, but I don't know why. Oh, every time I cook, it's like, I'm already making my ass on for Make more oh, than that's enough from Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so um, that's another kind. Another one is very interesting. Um, vampire bats um, engage in what's called risk reduction reciprocity, in which they actually, the, the, um, the bats that have enough will feed the bats that are malnourished. And the idea is that that way all of them Will be able to hunt and will be able to gain and you know and uh, and all of them will be taken care of when they when they need so all of them their, you know their future needs will be met. So these are all kind of on the selfish end. And again, when I say selfish, that doesn't mean horrible human being or bat or whatever. Um, simply that it's more driven about making sure my needs are taken care of. Um, other times, people share food um, for community purposes. Ben Adam so, for example, to fill the needs of the community. Everybody cooperates and all needs are met. And I gave you an example of it in, uh, in number 11 where they talk about communities in which people will gain access to resources and then they will share them um, with others with the goal of helping the community as a whole. There are actually a couple of different explanations that are brought in, um, in number 11 all under this heading. Um, there's another reason to share food, and that is to build social bonds by the experience of eating together, right? People who eat together hopefully come to like each other, either that or hate each other, but the like goal said, here would be like each other. Like said, that's why I share food, because I want the people to like me. Okay. Well, there you go. This is, um, source number 12 is for you. <laughs> so, these are all important, and they have analogs, by the way, within Judaism. So, for example, filling the community's needs. Um, you know, we have the practices of Maaser Sheni, where you bring produce to Yerushalayim in order that Yerushalayim should be beautiful and have a lot of food for everybody. Um, yeah? Correct. The truma, meiser, different gifts that go to the Kohanim, those are examples of it. You also have cases of building social bonds by the experience of eating together. There's a practice in the Gemara called Shushvinin, in which very close friends actually have a quasi-contractual responsibility to participate in each other's weddings and to give each other gifts and to, you know, to celebrate together. The, um, it's you know, food creating social bonds. Sometimes you share food as a part of displaying trust. When you think of the number of times that there's a brit in Tanakh, and they close the brit with a meal. So you've got, you know, you, you have that as well. But sometimes, and this is the part that's relevant for us, you share food for an ideological purpose. Take a look at number 13, please. From Robin Fox. Food and eating, an anthropological perspective. And the source that I tie it into, Mishnah Brachos, is about Mizuman, because I think I see relevance there. Because of its centrality in our lives, food becomes a perfect vehicle for ritual. And food rituals become central to most religions. Food taboos mark off one sect or denomination from another, right? Either we do eat these things, 
particularly together, or we specifically do not eat these things. Modern anthropology tends to stress the usefulness of food as a marker of social boundaries. And he quotes the, uh, the late Mayor Fortes, um, and I don't have to admit know who that is. I was going to look it up. Okay? I, I knew when I first saw this source, and I've forgotten over the years. Um, it is not so much that food is good to eat as that it is good to forbid. Meaning, when you create a ritual of we don't eat a particular food, it helps cement the group's identity as unique. Catholics, for example, could find a bond between each other and a mark of difference from Protestants by substituting fish for meat on Fridays. It was probably a mistake for the Catholic Church to end the ban on meat. It had helped make Catholics feel special. Many continue to observe it voluntarily. So the, the idea here is that what you do with food helps identify you as a like-minded person, as somebody who believes in the same things. It's a gesture that communicates belief. Sort of like Carbon Pesach, actually. Right? Where for Carbon Pesach, the Torah says, someone who doesn't believe doesn't participate. It's an act of demonstrating belief in Hashem, and Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. So if Mishlamach Manot is Ben Adam Lamakom because it provides for the meal, maybe even the gesture is enough. Right? Because you showed you believe in the Purim Seuda. Even if the other person doesn't accept it, you demonstrated that you're part of the club. You believe that we celebrate Purim, Hashem saved us, and you participate in the rituals. You have satisfied Ben Aram Lamakom, and you have satisfied Ben Aram because they feel good because you made the offer. If you take a look at the table again, phase two, it is a social mitzvah. You offer to share food, you're Yotzeb. It's about ideology. You demonstrated your loyalty to Hashem via participation in the ritual. See what I'm saying? So I think you can satisfy the idea that offering food fulfills the Benin Amla Makom based on this idea from, from the sociological perspective. And now I come back to the two psukim that I showed you from Esther. Because maybe that's what was going on when they adopted this practice in the Megillah. It was Ben Adam Lamakom showing that they're part of the same community that creates a Seuda to thank Hashem. And it was spontaneous. They picked it because we have a history of demonstrating that we participate in the same food rituals. I showed you in number 14, Nechemya. This is on Rosh Hashanah, and Ezra has done this big public Torah reading, and the people are very upset because they realize that, boy, are we in trouble. We have not fulfilled this. We have not fulfilled that. We are doomed. And what does he say to them? Go eat rich foods, drink sweet drinks, send portions to those who do not have any ready. For today is sacred for Hashem. Don't be sad. Joy in God is your strength. So he says to the people, send gifts of food as part of this joint celebration. That's what they do. They go eat, they drink, and so on. Already in the time of Nehemiah, remember, What's the relationship time-wise between Nehemiah and Purim? He, wasn't, the, wasn't the temple rebuilt like just shortly after Purim or something like that? So the Beis HaMikdash is already beginning to be rebuilt before Purim, and then there's a pause. Mm-hmm. 
the, um, there's a pause because the Samaritans object and say, you know, those Jews, when they're able to build their defenses and so on, then they're not going to pay your taxes anymore. And the government listens to them and puts a halt to the construction of the second base on Mekdash. And it seems like that's when Purim takes place in that gap. We I'm know that. It's, a whole paper about that. Oh boy, it's a confusing period. I know that's why I'm writing a paper about it. Go on. So it's um, it, it's it's after they've started simply because we know that it starts with the Persians when the Persians beat the Babylonians and Cyrus sends the Jews back. That's when everything starts. He says, "Go build," and you know that that is before the Purim story because Achashverosh has to be after Koresh. Yes. So. That's you know that that's just on a basic level. You can argue about is it during this king and that king and who was Cyrus and who was Darius and all the fun debates. That's exactly what I'm writing about. And like I said, have fun. But my point to you is that Nehemiah, who is later than the beginning of the building of the base Hamikdash, Nehemiah is after that. But he hears that the walls of Yerushalayim are in ruins and he's upset that he goes back to build it. That is happening somewhere around the same time as the Purim story, maybe somewhat later, but the Jews of this time are very familiar with the idea that we celebrate the Day of God by sending gifts of food. And so it makes sense that you would first have this spontaneous celebration of sending food before you ever get to a command by Mordechai of, hey, let's send food. So They're already doing it. This is, Nehemiah is, is roughly that time, maybe a little bit later. The, um, and then you get this Mishnah and Beitzah, which I thought should be considered relevant um, as well. The Mishnah and Beitzah is talking about sending gifts to somebody else on Yom Tov. Obviously, the Mishnah is later. I'm just showing this as a practice that has been a Jewish practice for Yom Tov. And there's a concern that if you send gifts to somebody else on Yom Tov, it looks like you're sending things to market. People who don't know where it's going. They just see a parade of animals and stuff being carried. Like they think it's going to the market. So, He says, you can only send prepared food. Because that's clear it's not going to the market. Beis Hillel says, nah, go ahead. Behema, chaya, oaf, alive, shechted, wine, oil, flour, beans. Just not grain. Just don't send grain because that'll look like it's really going to market. So don't send grain. I think that was the reason. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. There might be, no, there might be a specific reason why grain, and maybe it wasn't the market reason. I'd have to go back to the Gemara to, uh, to see why. The, um, maybe there was a, a different reason. I don't remember. So the great grain shortage. But that's the, the statement. And the point for us is you have an old practice of not sending, of, sorry, of not sending. You have an old practice of, se- of sending food on Yom Tov. You're sending portions of food. And so much so that you get to the last source, to number 16, the Rambam writes, any malacha that you could do Erev Yom Tov without suffering a loss for it, meaning it's just as good as on Yom Tov, so you have to do it before Yom Tov. The, um, you're not allowed to do it on Yom Tov itself. And then he says, Lo They did not prohibit transporting things on Yom Tov. And he says, You could transport things before Yom Tov. Why didn't they prohibit it? Says the Rambam. They wanted to increase the joy of Yom Tov. That way you're able to bring whatever you need to bring and you can take care of everything. So they said you're allowed to transport things on Yom Tov. That's the Rambam. But then you look at the Raifid. 
And he says, Why did they prohibit transport? Because they wanted you to be able to have joy in Yom Tov. So he says, The reason why they allowed transport on Yom Tov and they didn't prohibit it was that you could send food and kalim to each other. It honors the day more than if you send it on the previous day. So my point to you is that, again, you see this practice that Jews have had of sending food for Yom Tov. It's yes, ben adam l'chavero, but it's also ben adam l'makom, and the Jews of Purim would have been part of this, um, this type of practice as well. So I go back to the guidelines of the Misrat Abriyut, the Ministry of Health. The, um, see, you know, as they put in the beginning, you know, in the spirit of the mitzvah, as they said, um, you definitely should be sending food, um, two kinds of food. We share our appreciation for Hashem. Flowers don't cut it. Flowers are a nice addendum. That's great. And you can send bed sheets also if you, uh, if you feel like it. Um, and even if people don't like the food and they don't accept it, you, by sending it, have still identified as part of the uh, the same group, so that's your your fulfillment of the ben adam lamakom as well as the ben adam lachavero, and I think it's important to think about it because Esther is one of the few books in Tanakh that speak to the exile experience. Most of Tanakh takes place in Israel, right? I mean, you've got Daniel, that's outside. You have part of Yechezkel, most of Yechezkel, that's outside of Eretz Yisrael. Um, Eov may have occurred outside of Eretz Yisrael, for all we know. Right, I mean, yes, there are lots of Chumash is outside. But, but really, most of Tanakh is in Israel. You're getting here guidelines for how Jews live outside of Eretz Yisrael, and I think this, um, this provides an important lesson, a lesson in unity, part, as well as demonstrating and providing chizuk to others, really, showing that you, uh, that you are part of those who are loyal to, uh, to Hashem. Clear? Yep. Okay, thank you.